0: We got to get going. No, no, no. Stick around. Hang out with us. Cool. Yeah, we'll stay and hang around with you, us. With Alice Cooper. We're not
1: worthy. We're not worthy. We're not worthy. We're, we're, not worthy. we're stuck. We suck. Hello,
2: everybody. Welcome to the local earshot podcast. I'm your host, Brad Biggs. With us is Jonathan Grissom, as always. How you doing, bud? I'm good, man. Today we got a, uh, a former club owner and uh, a booker, kind of all-around uh, guy on the administration side of b- putting on gigs, I guess you'd say. Uh, you sounds like you kind of seen it all. Reggie, how you doing today?
0: I'm doing good, man. I appreciate you guys having me on today. Awesome, man.
2: Uh, we, we've been kind of uh, curious t- to hear a voice from that side of how all this... This puzzle comes together of live entertainment. We've had a lot of bands with mixed uh, opinions about how it goes, and, and uh, I have my own opinions about how it goes, but I've been out for a while. And um, Where did you start, and where did you come from, and how have you noticed it change over the years?
0: Um, well, I used to be, like in my younger days, I had a punk rock band. We were called Hate Party, but we were just really going off the name. We didn't really play any shows. Right. So. I was a drummer. I didn't have any damn drums. But I sold, like, a whole bunch of T-shirts, you know, with the hate party on it. People were getting kicked out of schools and, you know, kicked out of the mall for wearing stuff. It was (laughs) was pretty cool. And uh, I realized that I don't really have any musical ability. You know, I can't play drums or guitar. I can sing. I did that in a band called PDB for a minute uh, with Dave Klein, Owen Greenwood, and this other guy. It was pretty cool. But I, I realized that I... I felt like I could support the scene better if I made like a real stage for bands to play on, instead of like in the back of a record store. No offense to that because I had a great time. A lot of good shows at Music D, a lot of good shows at the Bowling Alley, you know. But um, I thought the people that were the bands that were coming through deserved a little more respect. You know, and deserved to be treated a little bit better. And I'm not dogging anybody, but also me and my me and my ex-wife were trying to get windows on the house. Uh, we had like 32 windows it was a duplex that we Mm. made into a conventional one single dwelling and it was about 85 grand or something we were doing signature loans we didn't have any credit we keep getting denied denied and we were like man if we can just get five thousand dollars and right at that time we were still looking for like 60 grand you know Mm. we're like if we can at least get five grand let's just open a bar you know and that's exactly what happened i mean we ended up getting denied 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 and like two months later we got the five grand and We'd already shopped a place on Britain Road. We looked at a place. It's going to be really little. We were going to build a bar and a stage and stuff, but it was really small. It was just east of Western on Britain, like it was an old school town of Britain. Hmm. you know. And then when we got the five grand, we went and looked at that building and started making plans for a stage and coolers and all that stuff. And then uh, when we left, we went down to Western, and I'd never even seen this building. And many times I've driven up and down Western, but I noticed this big for rent sign in front of what was, you know, 8911 Northwestern and uh, called the phone number. The realtor showed up in about 15 minutes. There was no power on. He brought flashlights. We went and looked around and it just so happened that the five grand we got is what it took to get in the building first last month's rent and all the deposits and crap. So that was that. And we opened up for business, you know, at the time we first started, it was just a bar because we couldn't get our licenses and we didn't have a stage, you know.
2: What year was this when you, when you got
0: going? 2000. Okay. 2001 it was i can't even remember what time of year it was i was working a full-time job and uh, my ex-wife was too so it was kind of like just something we did when we weren't working Mm -hmm. you know do all that stuff and i threw all my money into inventory just to get it started because we spent all of our money getting the damn room you know what i mean yeah so there for a while like i cashed out some 401k to get the initial purchase and you know the licensing and shit was such a such a joke.
2: You know? See, I, I don't know much about it. That's why I'm, I'm really curious to hear you say that. That's kind of one of our ambitious plans is to have a place. And, and our, our motto on it is kind of, we don't want a bar that happens to put on music. We want a, 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 a venue that happens to serve some booze. That's what we ended up doing. And yeah. uh, I don't know, you might scare me out of it.
0: <laughs> my advice, um, my professional advice would be don't do it. Mm. Unless you just want a cool place to hang out. Um, cause it's, it's not really, a, I mean, for me, it wasn't a, a expensive hobby. It wasn't ever really a profitable venture. Mm. You know, when we closed, we had probably, I was around $96,000 in, uh, back taxes, but that stuff, it's liquor taxes and it accrues interest daily, whether you're open or not. Oh, wow. So it climbed up to over $300,000.
2: Like Even on Sunday when the law make, well, they, at the time they made it where you couldn't serve it on Sunday.
0: No, we were serving on Sundays. Oh. They, the thing was, like, they expect you to pay your liquor tax before your rent. So how am I going to pay my liquor tax if I can't open up a money? You know what I mean? Yeah. So maybe we'd skip, skip like July and be able to pay for the next month, but well, July would still sit there. Oh, uh, okay. I see what you're saying. Until uh, we paid it, it would be accruing interest. so It eventually put us out, put us under, you know, got too high. And uh, we were really wanting to start a family anyway. The club was not very conducive to, uh, yeah, you know, family. We wouldn't get out of there a lot of times lot. until like five in the morning. You know, cleaning it up and just relaxing for a minute.
2: That's why I stepped away from uh, music, playing music in general, is just because it's it's the nightlife and kids come along and you they're more, know they're more important. Yeah, takes uh takes a lot of energy to keep them people happy. You know,
0: <laughs> oh, man. my wife was Max's wife was pregnant with our first daughter when we shut down. And so she spent a lot of time in the womb with music. And, of course, she, she likes music, you know? And I was, yeah. I mean, it was pounded on her when she was in the womb, you know? <laughs> Those speakers were loud. Speaking of loud, I've I've uh, recently had a hearing test. And, you know, I never wore earplugs in that place at all. I've got, like, a 42% hearing loss. It's jacked up. It's mainly, like, girls' voices. Oh, yeah, so, the higher. The softer. Yeah. You know? I just can't eat, I can barely hear it at all.
2: <clears throat> Man, some sometimes you're... Uh... A venue we frequent often is the Diamond. And uh, some of them PAs, are just when you have a straight, square, or rectangular building, those PAs can just blast they a can. row of the audience. And there's not a whole lot you can really do about it uh, without sacrificing
0: volume. Exactly. You've got to put earplugs in if you're a patron, but then you still can't hear all the nuances. Yeah. You know? Um, we spent, when we moved to Bricktown, uh, we spent, I don't know, somewhere around $112,000 on our PA. We had those huge, empty 4Hs and Ls, that were uh, EVs, I mean, that shit was, it was the same stacks that, was it Metallica and Van Halen or something went on tour? It was the same rigs that they used, Uh because initially we were gonna get some that came off of that tour, but then we found these that hadn't been abused like that, so we got those instead with a lot of help from Marty Dillon. He uh, stepped up and helped us go get it, because it was in like Arkansas, so he gave us a van. He paid him before I even got my loan approved, you know what I mean? He was yeah. a really good guy. He uh, Without him, uh, we probably wouldn't have been as successful because that's where I got my main sound guy from as well, it was uh, Marty. Whenever they were setting it up, the guy could just be on stage and be like, call the frequencies and the channels and down and up and stuff and it just blew me away. He, he could just hear that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So that was Mike. He was definitely the best sound guy I've ever had. Him and Tommy were amazing. Is that
2: something that was really in the forefront of your mind when you're scoping a place out? Is like your, how your acoustics are going to
0: run? I and, mean, and the stage, you yeah. know, because everything I'd seen like was not adequate PA. You know, it wasn't a permanent set; it was something they put together for oh, yeah. shows. You know, yeah. So I wanted more of a in-house system that could blow your ears off. And the first when we first started, we got a lot of help from Mars Music. They gave us discounts and donated a lot of like lights and stuff. And uh, it wasn't a good PA really you know the first, first show we really did I mean we did some other shows like they took over from Music D like um, what was it we did Halfway to Gone, and Selby Tigers I can't remember who else we did a bunch of different shows and then once I felt comfortable we did like a grand opening a grand opening uh, weekend and I, all I did was schedule all local bands and I didn't charge a cover mm. it was just like come in check this place out you know uh, we had so many bands play that weekend but I didn't have a sound guy yet and uh, <laughs> I had a guy set it where it should run everything. Just leave it alone, you know. Oh, no. <laughs> First band on stage. First damn band. I go back there and somebody's back there switching this shit up. I'm like, oh, fuck. I don't know how to do that at all. Especially that early in, you know. Yeah. So it was pretty brutal. It was rough, you know. But, I mean, it worked. Everybody had fun. Nobody really griped about it, you know. They knew I didn't know how to do it and everything was new. And it was just like, holy shit. But somebody stepped up and knew a little bit more than I did and made it work, you know. Luckily. I mean, with all those bands, somebody has to have a sound take. Sure. You know.
2: Yeah. Well, that's another thing, too, is, is like when you're scoping out uh, talent to bring into the place, or where are you looking? Are you looking local? Are you looking regional? Or just like trying to bring in a national act? How, how how big was as far as capacity? How does that come into play for doing
0: that? Well, you know, it's real weird because we had to find, learn learn all those laws, like, we were the first place in Oklahoma that was an all-ages music venue. You know what I mean? It wasn't a restaurant or a bar that occasionally had all-ages shows. We found a, I mean, everybody's doing it now so I can, I can actually say it. It used to be like a trade secret, uh, but it's all about how you established your business. Like if you say you get your income from food, if you sell more booze than food, you can't be all-ages. So well, we established it as a music venue where we make tickets, we make price, our income off of ticket sales. So as long as we showed more tickets than we did booth sales, which is, I mean, you report the shit, you can doctor it however you want, you know, pencil whip it to make it work. But that's how, you know, we found a loophole. When we, when we first opened, you had to like section everything off and have these, have all those signs and everything. Like everybody's familiar with now. Right. But when we did it, you know, the kids had never seen that or been around that, you know. It took a lot of, a lot of educating. Unfortunately, some of it wasn't very friendly, you know. But, uh. Yeah, once we found that loophole and did it, that was a 240 capacity. Hmm. And they rate the capacity off of how how big the building is, how clear the exits are, like how many fast pe- people can get out, and how big the parking space is. That's why, like, we kept selling out shows at the old location, and I kept getting upset because people couldn't get in to see the bands they wanted to see, you know. And if I let all of my friends in that came in late, it would just be freaking packed. Right. You know, so it was pretty rough. And then... Uh, I started talking about moving, and I talked to my friend David Box, and he happened to have that place in Bricktown that we moved to. And, you know, the old place, the way the lease was set up, if the plumbing or the electrical or the AC, if anything broke, it was on us. So with the rent was only 1400 a month, but nothing worked. You know, we were wow. constantly fixing the AC and constantly working on the plumbing. And, you know, it got to the point where I quit calling a plumber. Like, uh, if the toilet was backed up, roll your fucking sleeve up, get in there and unchunk it and then wash your hands. I mean, it's nasty. Really nasty. But it all washes off and it's a lot cheaper than having a fucking plumber come out every time. Oh, yeah. Middle of the $80 show. $80 an hour or whatever. Um, that, that's <laughs> or more. just the hour. They charge an on-call fee to show up. Yeah. You know, I learned the hard way. Just, as long as you don't have any cuts, open wounds, you don't have to worry about anything. Yeah. So yeah, a lot of it was just, you know, I had never owned a business. I had never booked a band and I, hadn't, I didn't know anything about what we were doing. It was just all trial and error, you know. Just I threw my feet in and started calling bands. You know, uh, I would look at the tour routing, because when we first opened, all the bands would tour around Oklahoma. they do like St. Louis, Kansas City, Albuquerque, and then go down like El Paso, work their way up to Dallas, and go over to Louisiana, or vice yeah. versa, you know. Yeah. And with the Crossroads, i-49 like 35 right here, that's stupid. So I started looking at Polestar and finding artists that had a day off between you know, what was it, Albuquerque and Dallas or uh, Kansas City and Dallas or St. Louis. And uh, anybody that was crossing the way, had a day off, I'd call their agent and beg for that damn day, you know. Mm -hmm. Like, we are not a big market, but they do have fans and they will sell a lot of merch and that'll give them gas money to get down the road, you know. It just ended up that we got a few and then um, the one that really got us was I did an agnostic front show on Sunday at midnight. Just one band, I had an early show. It was ten bucks, and everybody, people were like, I had to clear the first show out. It's like an emo show. I don't remember who was playing. Mm. And um, the Agnostic Front show for one band, ten bucks. We did almost two hundred people at midnight on a Sunday, you know. And the agent was blown away, and the band was blown away. Um, the one thing I've learned is if you want to get people to come here, you have to give them more than a monetary reason.
2: Very true. You know, well, and a band like Agnostic Front has such deep New York roots, it's like I'm sure they
0: were shocked to see a bunch of Okies turn out. They were, <laughs> and they were shocked that uh, like uh, I fed them. You know what I mean? I, I put them up in a hotel. You know, I did all the stuff that, that, that they don't get everywhere. Right. You know what I mean? I mean, Agnostic Front does, but they don't know what to expect when they come to Oklahoma. And they had such a good time. You know, I mean... <laughs> I don't know, is this an adult podcast? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, because right after the show, I went out back, and uh one of my friends was giving Vinny a blowjob right there, you know. <laughs> He'd been off stage like less than five minutes, maybe. He was already getting a blowjob, and then uh, they were all taken care of by the ladies, you know. My friend came up later and goes, this is nasty. But she goes, this is all Vinny's comms. Oh, Jesus. She all over the <laughs> shirt, you know, and I was like, step back, step back, you know. Yeah. <laughs> But it ended up being like a blessing because they all had a good time and they were fed well and they told other bands about the amazing experience they had on a Sunday night in fucking Oklahoma City. And then their agent is the one that introduced me to any agent I ever worked with. She just spread the word there's finally a place to stop, you know. And I rebuilt the touring route so they wouldn't just pass us up. You know, people were actually using us as a destination. And then I started getting... I mean, I was getting phone calls and emails before that. But then once the agents... I started getting hold of agents, man, it was like fucking Boom. overwhelming like, <laughs> like that. You know what I mean? I went from not booking just a few bands and local shows and stuff to bombarded. You know, uh, one of the problems I had was it was hard for me to discover new music if they didn't send it into to me. Right. Like I didn't have time to browse my favorite bands because I was too busy listening to these submissions to see if I had the date available, what kind of locals I could put with them, you know, all that kind of stuff. But I knew some good bands, and I knew the bands that played with those bands, you know. And basically, if I wanted to see them, I just booked them. You know, it was nice to be yeah. able to wait for your favorite band to go on tour and say, come here, you know. And I've made a whole lot of friends, you know, all over the world. It's, it's amazing.
2: So did that, was that just like an initial blast? I mean, what, I guess what I'm trying to maybe get at is like, what, what point did you kind of see the levee break and... Shut down. Yeah. Or at least the starting point where you're like, this is going downhill.
0: Uh, when we were in the Bricktown location, there was a lot of, uh, the touring industry, the music industry had, was doing all these exclusivity, all this exclusivity crap where like the bands that played the Warped Tour in Dallas, they couldn't play any state around them, any bordering state because they were, they wanted those people to come to see them in there. So I couldn't get their days off. You know what I mean? Which is, that's how I survived. They sandbagged you basically. Yes. So, I mean, even Britney Spears canceled her tour that year. You know, everybody was canceling all their tours because ticket sales were shit and that's the year that just kind of hit us, you know. Hmm. Um, we were doing good as far as it looked like, uh, but we were we'd sell out um, before my drinkers that supported the place could get in. You know what I mean? It was all young kids, which is awesome, you know, because nobody came when it first opened. You know what I mean? But then all of a sudden, it just kind of hit overnight. Just got whacked in the head, you know.
2: Was that due to like the um, like the Live Nation? These big, these massive. Uh, it was Live Nation. It was. Oh, it was.
0: Yeah. Okay. You, you, I mean, you well, they, they took contro- the I just know so they, they took control of everything, and they did. And- That's it. it shut up. It hurt, like people like me. You know what I mean? Because we survived on, we're C market, not an A or a B. You know, all the when they do the routing, they hit all their A markets, right? Get their dates, then they find the B markets in route, and they take a C market if, if a B market drops well, out or something. <laughs> if, if they drop out, or if they need like a gas stop along the way, you know. But they typically won't even reach out to a sea market hmm. you know because it's just not enough to support the guarantees are a monster you know i mean it costs so much money N- now back then it didn't like when i did the white stripes on 912 my guarantee was a grand hmm. for the fucking white stripes and then they took friday off saturday friday off to drive to la that saturday they did the mtv music awards and now you can, like i literally caught them on the last on the show coast. Before their guarantee went to the fucking roof. That's awesome. You know what I mean? It was 9/12, right after 9/11. We well, didn't even know if they were coming. All the bands were canceling their tours and heading back home. We had anal count on 9/11, and it turned into like a fucking hate fest. Oh. <laughs> I, ended up, I ended up calling all the Habib and the Bob stores around me, saying, "Lock your doors, shut up, shut early." You know? No. It's about to get bad. I mean, it was, it was literally like a hate fest. I got scared. I turned off all the TVs. And, Try to get everybody to calm down, you know. Ooh. It ended up that one of the, you know, it was a two-piece, and one of the members uh, had a cousin that worked out of the airport. One of the airports, the planes landed, took off from it. He was just, just really over, overly aggravated about the whole thing. Yeah. But then we did the white stripes the next day. Everything was like fucking heaven. You know, Jack was hanging out, dancing, break dancing, during the Greenhorns, opening bands and stuff, and he was just very. <laughs> You know, this is funny, because now the White Stripes don't hang out at all, really. Yeah. You know what I mean? They're, like, super private and, like, uh, afraid. But that night, uh, he, Jack, Meg just went back to their hotel, but Jack came out and partied with us all night, and actually got the cops called on us at, like, 4.30 <laughs> in the morning, because he, <laughs> he was fucking one of my friends on the neighbor's porch, and she was being so noisy that she woke him up, and they called the cops. We were like, gosh damn it. So we hid you know and we didn't <laughs> basically the main thing with the cops is you don't have to open the door right and if you don't open the door they can't do shit. so we just didn't open the door don't open the door <laughs> don't open the door <laughs> i learned that one of my neighbors used to give me uh, noise complaints all the time you know and I, he was crazy because i'd be asleep you know sleeping on the couch and the cops knock on my door oh you got a noise complaint and i was like dude you just woke me up <laughs> How I'm like how, how you know what I mean? <laughs> I'm sleeping on the couch with the TV on. What the fuck? And it ended up dragging me. I had to go to the court early in the morning, which I hated the mornings. You know, it's like 8 a.m. I went twice, and the people that were calling the cops on I me, mean, my neighbors, never showed up. So I didn't get charged or had to pay any fines, but I started to get up early right. and dick with all that. So I just quit answering the door, and noise complaints stopped. It was magic. Hmm. Then we moved moved up to the where I had the club going. We did get noise complaints, but the police in the area, like, uh, they respected us because we didn't just call them anytime somebody was crying about bullshit. You know, we'd rarely call. I can't think of a single time we actually ever called the cops. I've had people in the club call the cops. The manager of uh, the toasters. He's a local guy. Lives here in Norman somewhere. Hmm. But we had a skinhead at the show for the toasters, so he called the cops because he was a skinhead in the crowd. Like, Fuck you. We don't call <laughs> the cops around here. You know, you could have told me there was an issue. I would have handled it. But there wasn't an issue. It was just a guy watching the show, you know. So he called the cops, and I won't ever fuck with that guy again. You know what I'm saying? That's not. Well, yeah, especially if it's just. Uh, d- dude, if you just, don't call the cops in my house, I, ha- I can handle it. And know?
2: certainly not until there's an actual I mean, problem. if
0: somebody's getting shot, shot right. you know, or somebody getting stabbed, of course. But it never got to that. Yeah. So I would get to the point where I would be playing pinball you know, uh, in between bands or while we're setting up or something and the cops would come in and they'd be like, Hey Reggie, I don't need to talk to you, but it's want to let you know you got a noise complaint. We squashed it. Have a great night. They wouldn't even stop me from playing my pinball game. You know, they would just say, Hey, you got a noise complaint, but we're not going to report it. So hmm. it ended up being very cool. Cool. Well, as far as,
2: um, the live nation takeover touring the, the faucet got turned off, um, did that just set the stage for the whole thing to just collapse, or
0: it did? It yeah, did? and plus, yeah, right about then, the touring, because p- tickets weren't selling, it was like they had a bit. They artists needed more money to get on the road, so the guarantees went up. You know, and the way I started when I moved down to Bricktown, it was cheaper in the beginning than what I'd been paying on eighty nine eleven. You know, people did not understand that two hundred and forty capacity down there, up there, and at six hundred capacity down there because it was. No, park, no parking issues so they couldn't hold the parking is my capacity and there was a uh, no noise issue no noise ordinance you know mm. so anybody could come it was and it was so much cheaper like the first six months were free because we had to build the room like when we first got it, it had a big old hole right where the pit is oh yeah like a I don't know like a three feet deep holes like steps down you know right where the pit was gonna be so we just had to fill that up and Build the stage and get the PA, you know. So he let us aqu- get our business going, before he started charging us rent. After the first six months, it was only fifteen hundred dollars. Mm. You know, I was paying fourteen hundred for a, you know. And all honesty, with the maintenance and shit, we were paying around three grand a month for that little shithole on Western. You know, mm-hmm. but I loved it. It was such a dirty shithole. You know, <laughs> it was like that was part of the. Oh, well, it's a
2: punk rock club. That was know. part of the vibe. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: I wanted to be like the CBGBs of the Midwest. You know, and we did actually get some national notoriety for our toilets being shitty, just like CBGBs, <laughs> you know what I mean? That legacy was still carried around. You know, so that, that was pretty cool. We've been in a lot of, like, several top ten worst bathrooms in the nation and crap like that. <laughs> I was like, hell yes. <laughs> you know, when we first started, it was like uh, the internet was, it was just, you know, you remember where the internet was in 2000. You yeah. know what I mean? It's yeah. nowhere near Still very, was uh, a
2: new thing. Yeah. Yes.
0: So I had a website, and on the website where I announced all my shows and stuff, we had a unmonitored forum where anybody could use a fake name and just talk shit as much as they wanted (laughs) and it was a blast every time we kicked somebody out the forum would light up and everybody talked shit on me you know i didn't usually respond but it was just it was awesome if i did respond it wasn't as my name because it was oh yeah totally unmonitored you know Uh, you gotta hide that and it was funny because you could figure out who the people were (laughs) <laughs> but what they were posting, even though they had the fake name, you know what I mean? I was like, oh, I know you, bitch. <laughs> but back then it was like, because we didn't have people didn't really know about us, I thought any, any publicity was good. Yeah. So if you're talking shit on me, you're talking how much you like me, my name is on your tongue and you're telling other people about it. And then they can form their opinion about it, you know what I mean? Yeah. So that was I thought that was a good thing. We discontinued it when we moved to Bricktown. You know, because by the time we moved to Bricktown, I was a fucking alcoholic woman-beaten, ex-con, you know, drug-dealing piece of shit. Yeah, every I I mean, nightlife took a hold of you, huh? <laughs> no, that wasn't true. That's just what they call it. Yeah. Oh.
1: <laughs> no, no, no. That, yeah, that's that's exactly what, what a lot of the rumor mills were back then. Wow. And all that. Because, like, one of the very first shows I ever went to was at the Green Door in Bricktown. I uh, saw Power Man 5000 there. And, uh, and, and like and then like toward the end and that's why you know because i've always asked like i've always wanted to know the real story that's why i wanted to have reggie on because like because because like they they would say like that it, oh, it shut down because because they snorted up all their profits and things like that. Oh, like people it would say that shit. immediately yeah. goes to that. Yeah, it just yeah. automatically goes to drug use. They were dealing drugs out of the venue. Like there's all these stories about that venue that like I, I know that they're not true. Yeah, none of that so, was
0: true. So I, like you I ran
2: out of money basically because of the thing. Money. I mean, because we the were profit margins just, in most businesses little. are small. You know, and and you figure that especially as a part time thing.
0: Yeah, like when I did. Uh, Black Keys and Fu Manchu their guarantees was way too high I couldn't afford that so I'd book like Fallout Boy that I knew would sell out yeah. or something like the All American Rejects and then I'd stack that week with music that I liked because whatever profit I made went to paying the other bands to be here yeah. you know what I mean hmm. And I couldn't run a music video if I didn't at least listen to music I liked at some point Yeah. you know I, I was trying to make it like a punk metal club in the beginning like my first name was gonna we were gonna have to burn out do kind of a gearhead thing you know but that burnout's another and the tape you know what i'm saying sure it been, thought, anyway green door was much cooler because of that song you know i've always liked that song called you know green door what's that secret you're keeping and stuff so that was kind of the theme like people didn't know unless you came in if it was good or bad you know yeah we, we didn't have any windows you could see in and stuff but um i don't even remember where i was going with that so you guys really want to know about how it got started or how it failed both. Uh, I mean, uh, as
2: far as, I mean, you pretty much covered getting going and, and all that. I'm, I think there's a lot of things people don't realize when they buy a ticket to a show, like how much that oh, ticket shit. is
0: divided up and where all that actually does go. It goes to the damn band. That That's where the ticket goes to. It goes to cover how much you have to pay that band to be in town. It's not just about the guarantee. You know, you got a hospitality rider. you got to put them up in a hotel or a room, you know. There's much more going on than this ticket price. right? You know, a lot of those bigger ones, we would have to load in at like fucking 10 a.m. I didn't even get home until 5. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so I'm right back up there so this band can put all this... T- basically take up my whole day while they just lollygag around, setting their shit up. You know what I mean? I was like, if I'm here early, can you at least do something? Yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> but anyway, it all worked out. I wasn't rude like that. I just let them do their deal, you know. Um, I don't know. Um we basically let it shut down. I mean, I know how to, I knew how to keep it open. Like all those clubs in Bricktown do, they're open for four months and they reopen under a different, you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I knew how to do that, yeah. but um, I don't know, man, with the way the industry was going and I had a family, trying to start a family, you know, it wasn't, I, I didn't, I couldn't afford a manager to be there. You know, like my thing was, this is my place. And my name is on the line anytime somebody steps in the door. Mm-hmm. So I had to greet every band at the door. Thank you. Thank you for coming to Oklahoma City. You know, we appreciate your stopping here. We've got a lot of fans I think we will surprise you. If you need anything, introduce myself, introduce my staff. Just got everything kind of going, you know. personally thanked them for stopping, you know. And I don't know anybody else that had that drive. We had some people that wanted to buy us out to keep it going. Um, but I didn't have faith that they would have... I didn't want my name to get shut shot down. Right. You know, so I didn't want to sell the name, and I'm glad I didn't because it still keeps gives me some clout. You know, I can still call up an agent and be like, "Yeah, I used to do the green door," and like, "Oh yeah, okay."
2: Well, how have you noticed it changed since the closing?
0: Uh, as far as um... everybody that's in the music industry right now, uh, I'm not one to name. I mean, I guess I'll name names. DCF is a prick. He has no interest in the music. It's all cash. It's all about money. He's the one that owns Diamond Ballroom, which he acquired. In a very tasteful way. He had a friend, that guy that owned it, Ralph, owned it forever. They had a working relationship and uh, he basically went behind Ralph's back and bought the venue from his family. Hmm. And didn't, Ralph had no intention of selling and he lost his business because of DCF, you know, David Fitzgerald. He's just dirty. I did a sold-out show with him and I'll admit, you know, I did drink a lot back then. And I don't remember it affecting me very many times except one time because um, I had a contract with DCF to do a show and I sold the show out at the big place. And somehow he had written in all this bullshit, like advertising and crap. So somehow I did a sold out show and still lost money. Hmm. And then I, after the next few days, I w- went over that contract and, you know, he's not even supporting the local guys that are doing it. You know what I mean? He's still trying to make, just make money off of me, you know? So, I, I that's why I don't book anything at the diamond because I don't trust yeah. him at all, you know? And that's kept me from getting a lot of shows. I just had a, a Circle Jerks tour I couldn't find a room for. It was Circle Jerks. Um, I'm still shopping it because they're still on tour and they're adding dates. But it's Circle Jerks, all original members playing group sex in its entirety. Oh. With, uh, I think it's either Adolescence and Descendants and Negative Approach. And the reason I'm still trying is because I have Negative Approach coming. They're coming later this year. And um, we've got Black Dye Acoustic coming later this year, too. And I've got a lot of stuff that's actually jumping for next year. It's catching me off guard. You know, I made a few calls. And I was asleep on my couch. And I, I emailed this agent about a band that I wanted to see, one of my favorite artists in the world. I've been trying to get this guy for years. I never realized he was actually at my venue. And I met him until I saw this black and white, you know, the press photos. Mm-hmm. And his signature was on there. And I was like, I wasn't aware at the time that he did the solo stuff. And, I, man, I've been kicking myself in the head the whole time because I met him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I met him twice. I went down to see him in Dallas. And my friend, uh, uh, what's his Sean Wheeler from Throw Rag. He's got all this cred from being like a desert, salt and seas guy for so long and shit. He's a rehab, reformed addict and stuff. You know what I mean? So he looks like he's strung out. But he, he's cool. He's cool as hell. And I went to see him. Uh, he was on tour with that guy, Brant Bjork. And uh, they were playing Dallas. And I went down there and hung out. And I was waiting in the background you know because I was gonna every time an artist gets off stage you know they gotta go do the relaxing thing get a drink blah 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 they usually hit the bathroom and all that crap you know and the fans hit him so I was waiting until they, all that shit got done and he came out there and it was all kinds of people around him and he like I'll, I wasn't even looking because I was just waiting for it to die down and he just ran over to me and was like Reggie! Give me a huge ass hug he was like "Brant, this is my boy Reggie he told him about the green door and shit it was like I still get goosebumps you know what I mean but uh, you know, to this day I, I get uh I called it false auto worship. I've just gotten to a point where I can accept we wouldn't have been open. So I can't take all that credit. Well, you know, people will hit me when I go to bars and they'll just start buying me drinks and I don't know who the hell they are.
2: But do you think that helped you as far as like still maintaining these contacts with these with booking and, and this oh, that yeah. and the other going forward? Oh yeah. And what's different from that Um, position of a booker who's more like a networking guy versus being a club owner as far as that difference in responsibilities there? Uh, It's a lot more
0: expensive. Oh, really? You don't don't own the room. I mean, for for being an owner, you mean, right? No. As far as putting on a show, it's more expensive to be the promoter. Oh. Because you have to rent that room. Yeah. You know, that shit doesn't come free. Whereas if it was my room, I would be able to, not only would I be able to uh, make profit off of the show, but if I didn't make the guarantee, I could take money out of my liquor sales mm. to compensate. I had like a backup, like a bank. More options. Yes. Like when I had the venue, I did have like a a backup, a stash of cash that I saved in case we didn't make the guarantees, you know, so I could pull off of that because pulling from the liquor was really causing us all the back taxes. You mm. know what I mean? So I stashed, anytime we'd hit a back end in the deal, um, I don't, I'm going to explain the back end. When you book a band you have a guarantee that's up front, right? A certain specific dollar amount you agree on a ticket price. And then you put together all the expenses that you're going to have in the show. Your security, your staff, your promotion, your ticketing, like anything that you're going to spend on that show, you list as an expense. So once you pay the guarantee, once you meet the guarantee and if you made a- make all the expenses, then it goes to what they call the back end. And we usually split that 60/40. 60% to the band, 40% to us. Which that doesn't happen very often you basically got to sell that bastard out to hit the back end right. you know so but it, it wasn't a lot but I stashed it over time and it helped me from i mean i lost i lost money on more shows than i made you know wow. what i mean it
1: and was they, more uh, like whenever i worked at live nation they would talk about um the uh the fillmore auditorium that it it, the, the amount of staff and stuff like that like they had to choose how many security were going to work a show and stuff like that based on capacity of if it was sold out if and there was draw. Like that many people um they, they would they would like not book every person to work the backstage like the uh the stagehands they would they would move shit around all the time and it, that was owned by live nation you know uh live nation presents in in oklahoma yeah. it's it's a little different because they gotta they gotta go to they have to find the security company they gotta find like all the different people so the promoter side of it it's a little harder because because you don't if if you own the venue then then it's a little different and that's what Live Nation figured out they also figured out like what he was saying before where the bands and everybody else they appreciated whenever a, an owner would come out and be like hey guys like thank you for coming in you know they 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 meet the bands they'd actually meet the person that owned the venue and stuff they enjoyed that. But Live Nation was hiring all of these other companies to do the security, to do all these different things, to, to do the liquor. You know, the, all, the, all the bartenders and stuff didn't even work for Live Nation. They, they were just people that would sign up on a website and just right. sign up for hours and show up. The problem was was that people would go in the venue and be like, be like hey, uh, where's the bathroom? And they would be like... I, I don't work know. here. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's my first time working this venue, you know. And they'd be like, "Well, this is bullshit," you know. And so they they'd be mad about it. And and so what it came down to it was was that that Live Nation is now going backwards. They they like a lot of the like, you know. And so like they uh, they don't do they do like they keep it Live Nation presents in some states, but like in the ones that they own the venues, they basically bought out every small venue. They want to own them all. Mm-hmm. And and what they're doing is is that they they have the they have all the contracts of all these artists so like they own everything they own the ticket sales. they own all of that stuff and Mm. so now they can control the game and and so they you know and and he probably knows a lot more about this stuff than i do but i was i was just doing it from the venue like management side for like the head of security type stuff you know but yeah i mean and and i liked working for the company in that respect you know like that capacity but I could not imagine being on that level where you're Just competing, com- you're trying to compete takeover. with these guys, yeah, because yeah. was... they are literally hostily taking over all these small venues. They bought every venue in Denver, and they had like, their and, and I mean, every venue agreements. was small. All of them got bought, and then they what they did was they took all their their workers that worked for Live Nation, they upped their wage by about two three bucks, you know, an hour, and they basically said you could sign up to work at any venue in the city. And so everybody was like, "Hell, man, I got all this work now." I'm working every night, and, and so they were all happy about it, but the thing is, is that what they're not noticing is that before, you had to, like, work for all these different companies, and right. now, you just work for one, and that one is dominating the industry. Yeah, it was sad.
0: So, we were trying to set up a network similar to that, where I was reaching out to uh, basically all the surrounding venues in, like, St. Louis and Albuquerque, Kansas City. I had something set up with a guy in Austin, you know, where we would share, but I was trying to make a, basically, a club network, so... Anybody, I wasn't trying to own it, but I was trying to set up a thing where anybody that was coming to the Midwest, you know, you could call me and I would have all these shows, I'd have all these venues available. So we would all get a good deal instead of overpaying here and not paying as much there. So we all had like a mass guarantee that we'd all take care of instead of me losing money or them losing money and this one making a shit ton, you know what I mean? Yeah. It was more of a community thing I was trying to build. And that was pretty hard because, you know, venue owners are greedy as fuck.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, uh, I mean, most any business owner and dealing with that capacity
0: (laughs) capacity is—it's hard to let go of Brad. It's hard
2: to be a musician, probably, or someone who loves music and run a business like that because it makes it
0: difficult difficult to be that cutthroat. You know, I, I tried not to do that. I saw both sides. You know, I tried to help everybody meet in a comfortable middle. You know, I've realized over the years that one of the main reasons that I succeed had some level of success was because. I loved the bands, I loved the music, and I cared about the fans. You know what I mean? And uh, to to me, the only reason I could have kept going, I was able to keep going, is because people were having fun. Yeah. I was able to provide a-, a spot where people could come and just relax and have a good time and smile, you know, see their favorite band and enjoy the evening, keep coming back because we kept our prices as cheap as we could. We wanted people to walk in, not even knowing who the hell was playing. And we got a little bit of that, you know yeah. what I mean? But it was just, uh, yeah, I don't remember where we were going with that. I'm sorry. Well,
2: uh, well, okay. All right, so leading up to um, where, uh, you know, you lost the club and you're getting into the booking. How has it changed um, in the last maybe three to five years leading up to COVID? And that's just a total collapse. And how have you seen it change throughout and since COVID?
0: COVID definitely fucked everything up, you know. Shut down all the tours. I had probably 17 or 18 shows on the books, some that I thought would be, you know, sell out, like uh, TSOL would have been a good one with the support, Uh, the lead singer Bad Brains HR, he set Oklahoma as an anchor date for his whole tour, and uh, man, it was just so many on and on and on and on, you know, negative approach, which they're going to redo, you know, because they had to cancel that show, so I've got them on a redo, Hmm. coming up later this year, and just i mean everybody went pigeonholed you know so nobody was on tour the main thing that i've noticed in the whole business as in the music industry as a whole in oklahoma city is um i feel like nobody's in it for the bands or for the music everybody that's doing this is about the dime nobody has a uh, there's not a club they're all venues right they're like you go in you buy your drinks you leave when the shit's done you know what i mean we were a place that i wanted you to come in even if you did not know who was playing? That's why I kept everything as cheap as I could, and a lot of people did that. They would come in just because we were open to want to grab a beer, and I'd see, you know, it was a five or seven dollar cover, three or four bands, and they would end up liking at least one of them. Right. You know? So I got to spread music that way and introduce mu- music to new people. Uh, but man, when COVID hit, I was just just doing the booking thing, like at the promotion side, and um, shit, it hurt. It's coming back now. Uh, now every band in the damn world wants to get on. See, and I've noticed that and
2: I'm I'm torn on how to feel about it because you see in these massive festivals that cover everything from R and B to rock and roll to country. And it's this, it's this long thing. And I, Part of me, well, the 21-year-old in me would love that. But the, the 36-year-old in me is like, I don't want to go sit out in the field for three days.
0: See, that was my thing. Like, <laughs> I, I, liked to, I wanted to see the bands in a smaller venue than you would be able to see them elsewhere. Right. You know? Now, when I got to 600, I only went there because we kept selling out. And it was cheaper. You know what I mean? So, yeah. that was the reason for the move. I was tired of repairing somebody else's bullshit, you know? Right. It got to the point where I'd have to replace the AC units and... It was about to just, you know. One time the damn, uh, what do you call it, electric meter caught on fire and burnt down. I had a big show, and I got there, and power was dead. You know what I mean? It was like, I think it was Yellow Card or something, which was totally unexpected. I didn't know anything about them. Yeah, I guess they were in the Christian stuff, and uh, it was a Sunday. You know, I didn't even want to go to work. We had a big Saturday night. Me and my wife were driving up there, just regretting that I'd even booked a show that Sunday, you know. I didn't have any security. It was me, her, and a door guy, you know, because I didn't know anything about yellow card. And then once we, when we pulled up, the bitch was already sold out. (laughs) I mean, the line line was huge and there were so many people on a Sunday and we were like, oh, fuck. (laughs) You know, we're tired, exhausted, and then here it is. (laughs) (laughs) Time to get to work, bitch. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, that happened a lot because I kept my venue open to all sorts of musical styles. My style was mainly punk and metal, the old school stuff, Uh, but if a band was coming through and they had fans, it was my obligation to give them a place to stay and get them familiar with the market and let the fans have a good time with this band
2: so uh, it's i mean you you can tell you're torn on it because you say the businessman in you says that keeping the club 21 and under or all ages was the downfall of it It however the businessman in you says if we would have had it 21
0: and up we would have maybe made it no i don't think so you don't think so because there was that's what made us different you know there was already vzds and there's already you know all these places that were 21 and up that would hold music Mm. so the market that was thirsty was the kids you know, because, you know, I was that age. i was pissed off when a band would come in and play, 21 and up, and leave me out. You right. know, I had all your damn records, and yet I can't go see you. So being all ages was a note. I mean, I wouldn't have done it without being all ages. You know, because you have to. If I, w- I was looking for longevity, right? I never wanted to shut down. I want to stay open. I wanted my kids to take it over and run it whenever I got too old. You know, so longevity thinking. You have to have the kids. How are you going to grow your market? Who's gonna be there seven years from now if they weren't there seven years ago? Right. You know what I mean. So that's what my idea was, and plus I don't want to keep any any fan from missing a band. You know, that's what sucked about doing the bigger shows, like when we did the Fallout Boy under undercard. We were six hundred capacity, and the next closest venue was like thirty five hundred. But we had made friends with Fallout Boy because we supported them from the beginning when they had no fans. You know, and they did an the underplay for me. Like man, it was crazy because. As soon as we let him in, all these tour managers just started blowing me up. Where's this? Where's that? Blah, 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 You know? And luckily Pete walked over and was like, hey, man, this is Reggie. He's the owner, which I greeted him. I greeted him that way, but I guess they didn't realize I was the owner. Hmm. So Pete came over and was like, hey, man, this is Reggie. This is real DIY. The girl behind the bars, his wife, everybody that works here is his friend. We don't deal with all that crap here. This is like a home show. You know what I mean? Cool. And I was like, I got some of that stuff, you know? But we didn't have, like, every band wanted You know what it is. Like, the crazy shit. Like, I lost to Hank the Third. I lost to Hank the Third show because... I mean, Hank the Third show. Because, uh... And then the guy had... How many people? He had... 25 people in his crew. Because he did the country and the metal. Yeah, he did Um, a lot of everything, man. That dude's all over the place. Well, he's a junkie. And he's... The label controls him. He doesn't have any... He's too messed up to take control of himself. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's changed now. Back then... The... I'll tell you the story. You know, they came in, set up, and the guy wanted 75 meals, which we had. And he wanted, like, I mean, just ridiculous, like, 12 cases of Pedialyte. Like, we had a ton of shit that we actually met. We didn't meet all of it. You know what I mean? Like, he wanted a stereo monitor mix on my stage with, like, seven or eight players. I'm like, you're not going to be able to move. You know what I mean? Like, and Hank himself, I didn't talk to him much, but... Because it was mainly his tour manager that was beating me up, beating me up, you know. And it's so bad that we were fighting the whole time. Like, I greeted him like I always do. Hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. The guy just walked right past me with his middle finger in the air.
2: Nice. Yeah.
0: Like, I'm trying to be a nice guy. We've been having issues on the phone trying to make the date happen, you know, arguing and stuff. But you're here now. Let's let's be cohabitable, you know. Let's yeah. make this shit go down. He just bucked it, bucked the whole time, started letting him set up and... I knew he was about to cancel. You know, he was about to pull the plug and not play. And uh, I went over to Hank and I'll say, Dude, what's up? You know? I've got a lot of fans already outside there wanting to see you. Your manager's making this hard as hell on us to put you on stage. You know, what am I what can I do to you for you that would keep this going, to keep him where you could step up and say And uh, he was I could tell he was, you know Oh yeah. On a different plane, so his response was how is my fiddle player supposed to play the fiddle without a stereo mix? Fiddle, one instrument? Mm-hmm. How do you need, how's that stereo? It's just two two monos. You know what I mean? It's that. And I was like, well, he could use a monitor, a single monitor like everybody else that ever comes in here does. And he was just trashed. They ended up canceling, and the funny thing about it was, I still get a laugh out of it, you know, because the cat was outside broadcasting live about... You know, they were canceling the show and calling me a piece of shit and just throwing me under the mud. And the tour manager was in the back. I had him in the office, but my security was there the whole time because we were literally at each other's throat. Like, we were about to throw the whole time. (laughs) And when he pulled the show, he was like, he was beating on me. He was like, you won't even provide me with the stereo monitor mix. And he was hitting the motherfucker. I had it covered up with a tablecloth, but the whole board was there. If I unpacked it, I had to pay for it. If I didn't unpack it, I didn't have to pay for it. So if he would have, if things would have worked out well, I had what he needed, but he, he didn't have to be a dick. Yeah. If he wasn't a dick, I would have broke it out and made that expense. But he was such a fucking asshole that I wasn't gonna go for that, spend that extra money, and crack it for him just to cancel yeah. that being at an expense, you know. So it ended up like I mean that was just funny to me because I had it covered up and it was in the case and he was in my office beating the thing that he was upset about <laughs> he was touching it you know what i mean <laughs> he had no fucking idea i had no idea that i had everything that would have made it work and if he wouldn't have been an asshole you know and it come to find out uh my friends at secret machines came in like two months later and uh we're real good friends with josh the drummer and it was, it was it blew my mind because the the bus driver came in i didn't even recognize him you know he was like hey man i just want to shake your hand." And thank you for being the only person in this whole country with balls. I was like, what do you mean? He was like, I oh, was Hank the Third's tour bus driver too. I was like, oh shit. <laughs> you know, I was just like, oh shit. He was like, no, man, you don't understand. Every time we went to a gig, they would take Hank in the back and give him a bunch of drugs and get him really fucked up. While the big tour manager, he was a big guy, would go in and make it as hard as possible on the venue to do that show because the record label did not want the show to happen and did not want them to welcome him back in the room they wanted him to focus on Superjoint ritual and oh, quit doing the solo shit so and he, and he told me literally that was their job was to make it as hard as like so you, it
2: didn't matter if you broke it out or not it'd have been something else
0: right oh. and anyway the guy was like i just want to thank you because you're the only one that stood up and said fuck you you know you didn't take a shit you yeah. know what i mean and that made me feel good you know what i'm saying I didn't know that it was the process, that that's what they were doing. You know, it was, I was just, man, you want respect, you give it, you know. True. He could
2: have just said, hey, he's not going on tonight. <laughs> this is why. Maybe something could be
0: worked out. Easily. If yeah. he wasn't just an aggravated asshole and just basically trying to fight me the whole time he was there, you know, yeah. he was literally pushing me and shit. And I was like, dude, fucking, I'm trying to help you here. Keep your fucking hands off me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Can't we come to something amicable and make this show go? and with uh what's his name jake i don't know call him jake the snake i don't know that cat guy was literally on the bus outside of the venue talking shit on me because it wasn't working there was a whole line of people you know and they were they had it they were broadcasting the speakers outside right i was like man this is a bunch of shit i got firebomb threats and people were going to burn down my building and that was back in the day when people could still do the uh anonymous forums yeah. yeah yeah. unfortunately for them i recognized a lot of their names and <laughs> called them out like i would see them and be like oh you are uh okay here's the example i remember oh you so you're red on head i've read what you said about burning down my business and how big of a piece of shit i am why are you trying to come in if i'm that much of an asshole why are you standing at my door paying cover to see a band yeah he was like i'm sorry i just got, i'm sorry I was like, are you really you're really sorry you sent out a death threat and you're gonna burn my club down because i'm a fucking piece of shit you know like she went off on the whole woman beater, aggravated alcoholic ex-con blah 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 you know so she drank the juice you know what i mean and mm. yeah fuck that. and uh, today you see
2: it with the, all they do is is label them a pedo some of them end up being true. I should mention that, but that was my biggest fear. A lot of them is like it's just to ruin your
0: reputation. Once you have that label, the court of yeah, public opinion's out it, matter, yeah. you know. But that was one of my biggest fears. My two biggest fears was that somebody would get overserved and get in a car wreck going home, you know, hurt somebody else as well. I did not want to have that on my soul. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And the other one was um that was Oh yeah, the other one was being a pedo because A lot of the music I did, they would break their cocks out, and they'd flash their tits, you know, and all this stuff. And being all ages, Oh yeah. that's not – that doesn't float. You know what I'm saying? So uh, every time that happened, I was like, (laughs) motherfucker. I'm going to be the biggest pedo. I've got 500 underage kids in here. That's 500 charges. I'll be the worst pedo uncle in my history, and all I do is put on a show, you know? Yeah.
2: Well, um, as far as where do you see it going now that we are recovering from COVID? I mean –
0: I've got, I know some people that are trying to get back into it. I've got plans. Like if I had an investor, I would be up and going right now. I know how I failed and I know how not to do that again. Um, So I could see more longevity, but I don't have the money to do it. You know, I need a ground up reconstruction because I don't want to take over something, which I might do. I'm looking at a couple of rooms, but I really want ground up, new build. I know how to like make us the freaking shining star of the Midwest. People will book us instead of Dallas. You know, we'll turn into at least a B market, right? In just a couple of months, you know, but uh, that all takes funds that I don't have, and the people that I've talked to with funds, they wanted to have, uh, wanted to have their fingers in the pot too much, you know what I mean? Like they wanted to control who I booked and stuff. I'm like, no, you don't understand it. You won't understand it. You know, this is like people just don't get it unless you're the one putting your damn ass on the line you know well, and your reputation it's kind of
2: like that old saying too you know the people you see on the way up are the same people you run into on the way down yep. you know and mm-hmm. it's like a lot of people tend to forget that so they do
0: i mean all i was doing was pouring my heart and soul to provide something for people to do instead of get in trouble you know and i, I think to some level that was a success because i've noticed how many more local bands we had and when i started there was like seven or eight that i could pull from on any band i booked how do you you know so one thing i learned first is you got to mix genres the market's too small to do metal 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 punk 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 Right, right. you know so you i would try to do punk and then uh, metal and then hardcore and even emo like i had uh, a sold out show with all american rejects at the old room and my friends already had everything was buttoned up support everything contracts were done and in and my friends throw a rag were like dude we're on the road we could use this date you know so I contacted the, other, the agents that I had the other show set up with, and I was like, I'm going to take them out of my money, and I'm going to put them as main support. And they were like, fuck you, you can't do that. And I was like, you want to pull the whole show? And they were like, no, it's already sold out. And I was like, well, this is how it's going to go then. And it literally, you know, with all these little girls, young, young girls, <laughs> and they didn't want to move their spot because the rejects were left. And here's this guy, this skinny guy, covered in tattoos, looks like a junkie with a chimpanzee mask on, leaning out over the crowd, just dripping sweat on all these kids, man. (laughs) And they, you know, I don't know if you've heard Throw Rag, but if you're a Rejects fan, you probably have never heard that band before. And it kicked them in the teeth, man. It was so funny. Because they were going to dance and stuff, and here's Throw Rag, just you know it was awesome it was one of my favorite shows because that's cross that's cross market. oh that's cross genre for you sure know? and if i had a bigger room that would have succeeded a lot more you know it'd have been a much bigger bigger success yeah but i always how do you expose people to music they haven't seen if you Unless don't put you it in front that. of them, yeah, right. in a lot of cases yeah so yeah. right now the market doesn't do that it's all same genre because it's well,
2: packaged tours. Well, that's the thing: is, is to get that experience, you have to spend four hundred dollars for a three day pass to see all these different. Because it's just uh, the festival; it's exploding, man. And that's what me and him we talked about it doing exactly what it did leading up to it. But when it did, we were still we're still unprepared, you know. But well, that's awesome, man. I, I, is there any? If If a local artist around here wants to maybe try getting their foot out there and booking,
0: how can they get a hold of you uh, or can they or yeah, or, man, I'm open to know? everything like I, I need uh, more bands. You know, I need to be I, it's hard for me to get out like I don't have a car and right now I'm unemployed, so it's very difficult for me to get out and scout the local talent. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I know my friends, the people I have, they're in bands, so I, I'll use them, but I'm always looking for new bands new genres. Like I just found a, a like a folk band, local folk band that I, I, I'm waiting to find a great show for them. You know, because they've got somewhat of an established draw already, but I want to put them on a punk bill or a metal bill or something that makes sense. You know, like Scott H. Byram, something that pulls pretty big or Bob Log the Third, and then have the folk band out there. because You know, that's cross-marketing. Yeah, I want to do that genre and anybody can reach me at 405- nine six eight zero four four three also r-e-g-g-y w-h-e-a-t at yahoo.com and i have a green door page on facebook i'm not sure how to find that probably just look for green door um anybody can be on that one that's where i do a lot of announcements instagram i don't have it i mean instagram yeah it's just reggie reggie wheat okay Uh, but on instagram and facebook i'm private so you've got to send a request okay that's why email is a little quicker or instant messenger on facebook awesome you don't have to be my friend to to message me you know and i want to have a parting thought that you know the only reason i'm even doing this podcast is because i'm still trying to support the local scene my heart and soul is still here and um, i'm trying to still bring bands that everybody wants to see um and You know, we used to have a saying at the, at the club, we bought radio ads. And to kind of be catchy, we would say, don't be a ham sandwich, go see a live show. You know what I mean? Support live music in your town. Yeah. And that's basically what I would end with is go to as many fucking shows as you can because you, you don't know how bad they need you there. I still did shows during COVID. I still put local bands together. I was doing like the Blue Note and the Drunken Fryer just to keep these bands from getting all. Dusty and crusty yeah. from not playing. I still bring people out, and uh, I wanted to keep the market alive and support the bars and the venues. You know, it was it was a really bad time. Yeah, well, and it's I'm just so glad to see it
2: it coming coming back around. Hopefully, it stays open. We shall see. Um, yeah, this new
0: variant's kind of a bitch.
2: But um, yeah. Uh, with that, I'm going to go see Elizabeth Turner tonight, as a matter of fact. Shout Thank out you. to her. Uh, Thank you. I've speak, never
0: seen her, but I appreciate you coming.
2: Uh, she's it. playing at the Bell Isle, and I think that's kind of her home turf. I think she – I don't know whatever deal that she has, but every time I see a poster come out, it's always there. So, um, yeah, definitely we'll put her up on the Facebook page. We'll put, a, put your stuff up there that we – you know, if anybody wants to feel froggy, start up a band and get out there and show them what you got. We'll
0: have them get a hold of you, man. That sounds great, man, because new talent – is what i thrive on awesome you know new bands local regional touring new stuff you know i like to see where the music scene is going and try to play a hand in helping that survive here right
2: you that's know? what's what our goal is too is to find a network of artists and do this live entertainment where we, we love everything we've had comics on and nice and the whole thing it's just everything live if i, I love the idea of somebody taking their talent
0: and standing up there and what happens happens see that's what i do too you know i take my talent of knowing bands and knowing other bands and try to put them together in a in a bill that makes sense where they might get some exposure from people that wouldn't come out to see them typically you know Mm -hmm. and that's my passion just getting local bands exposed one of the favorite things i i can say is that so many bands so many people come up to me and say you let my band open for my favorite band i played the same stage as Whoever, you know. And that was like a shining moment in their life. Oh, it had changed their life. Right. And, you know, see, I get goosebumps. I fucking love that, man. Seeing people come in and have a smile on their face, I feed off of that. You know, I also feed when it's a bad night. It's hard for me to get into the mood whenever nobody's happy. Right. And if I'm not happy at my show, nobody is. (laughs) You know what I mean? I've had some bad nights where I just couldn't get it out of my head that we're about to close. And I was so fucking depressed and just couldn't have put that smile on, you know. Towards the end, it became a mask, you know, because I was really upset about the direction the club was going. But if I didn't smile, the whole show was sucked. Yeah. So sometimes it took a 12-pack and a quarter <laughs> bag of weed to put that smile on my face before the show, you know. We got there, God damn it. But it, got, it happened, you know. It went on. Sometimes I I didn't even greet the band because I was so down until I started drinking, you know. Unfortunately, I became an alcoholic, you know. I think that occurred after the, after the venue. You know, because I was only drinking when I was there. There's only one flavor of water. Don't drink soda. <laughs> what else is there, yeah. you know? I don't drink liquor, so it was just beer. But I'm recently sober, and um, that's going to help me a lot, transitioning into the, the amount of music that I'm booking for next year. I've got a lot of stuff coming. My favorite artist, Brand Bjork, is coming in. Nice. You know, and his band Stoner with my friend Nick Oliveri. They were two original members of Caius. So you know what the music's going to sound like. Mm-hmm. If you like that, then this is going to be you know, a phenomenal show. You awesome. Know. awesome,
2: awesome, awesome, awesome. Thank man. you guys
0: for having me on. Thank, you, thank you for being for your on, interest.
2: man. Um, I guess we'll wrap it up here. Jonathan's going to take us out, but uh, we
0: appreciate it, and thank you for being on. Please, anybody, support live music. Whatever Amen. you do, go out.
1: All right. The uh, local earshot podcast runs on the value for value system. It's the three T's. Uh, there is time. Uh, and so the best way to actually help us out is tell your friends and family, tell other people, you know, just to check us out, check out the podcast. Um, and so, I mean, just by listening, we thank you for listening to the episode. Um, and, and then, um, talent. So if you work inside the music industry or you're inside a band and you want a little bit of exposure, then we would love to have you on, um, on the show. And then treasure, if you want to donate, uh, to the show, um, I am planning on having the new website up this weekend. Uh, and that this new website actually has a, uh, guest section. So you can click on a link and it'll say guest. And then you can actually see All of their social media, um, how to get a hold of them, contact information. So you can get a hold of these bands and you can also get a hold of, um, you know, like just to uh, connect with them on social media and other ways to um, actually do that. It even has a bio section. So we'll be able to actually write up a a quick bio of of who they are, what they do. Yeah, and then so if you want to donate, it's localearshot.com slash donate. Uh, and then if you want to get a hold of me, it's john at uh, localearshot.com or uh, morebands at gmail.com. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, thank you for listening.
2: Bye, guys. Oh, and if they want to get a hold of me, the Facebook's the easiest way to get a hold of me. Instagram, too, but I don't have an email particularly because... I need to probably do that.
1: Yeah, we we set up, we set up, we set up Brad's email, but uh, it's uh, I don't know. I'm having an issue with it working for him, so uh, I'm we'll, gonna have to we'll, figure that out. we we'll go We're, that. We'll we're go gonna with get that. him an email though, because I can check. You can you can actually email Brad at Brad at but I'll be the one reading it. So, <laughs> uh, so I mean, it's kind of the. Yeah. All right, man.
2: I'll well, we'll see y'all later. Appreciate your time, Thanks, guys. guys.